Well, as Kenton mentioned uh, this morning, uh, as you came in, you may have seen laid out on the on the table just outside the doors uh, a photo directory. Uh, this is our rough draft of that. Um, and we encourage you, if you are part of the church family here regularly, uh, or you would like to be regularly part of the church family, uh, if you don't see either your name or your photo there, or if the information we have is inaccurate on you, uh, to, first of all, uh, write any any corrections just directly on the page. Uh, hey, you've got the wrong phone number, or you've got numbers transposed, or my address isn't right, or where did you get this photo from? This is awful. Um, <laughs> if you have... Um, if you have uh, corrections or improvements to any of that, uh, email office at chilibible.org. Office, O-F-F-I-C-E, at chili, C-H-I-L-L-I-B-I-B-L-E, uh, dot O-R-G, office at chilibible.org. And we will put in uh, whatever photo you submit, um, along with, uh, as long as they're uh, PG. Um, and, um, and we will... Um, we will uh, list you and your and your information accurately and that kind of thing. We are really trying to get that out. Uh, we have we have a lot of new people in our church this year. Uh, I think attendance is up somewhere around about twenty percent in 2023, which is an amazing blessing. All right, uh, that's an amazing thing. But that means that also there's a lot of us who don't know one another. And if you are brand new to church. And you're like, I don't know anybody there. Welcome to the family, first of all. But also, a lot of people don't know one another here, so you are not you are not unique in that regard. And we're gonna we're trying to uh, facilitate that and encourage that uh, connection with one another. And one of the one of the sneaky ways you can do that is if you meet somebody and forget their name, you can find that directory and be like, "What's that?" <laughs> find their face. Match it up with their name, and then you uh, know who they are. And you can greet them like an old friend the next week <laughs> and be like, I know you, right? Uh, I remember your name is Steve or whatever, right? And so um, I want to encourage that. Uh, we also uh, want to encourage you, do come to the Mountain Men thing on the 20th. That's going to be fun. Uh, if I, I am not, um, not a giant fan of bluegrass-style music. But this is a but this is a good time, and uh, you know there will be banjos, uh, but you do not have to paddle faster to get away. Um, it, it, but it'll be a great time. Uh, I encourage you to come. It'll be a good family event coming up in January. We're going to have another potluck um, where we can uh, get to know one another a little bit, the fellowship together. Uh, if you're a if you're a, a woman and you uh, want to come to the Christmas party uh, on Tuesday night, do we have spots available yet on that? Rachel, are you here? There, you can still sign up today, okay, uh, for the women's Christmas party on Tuesday night. Uh, some of the men that are in leadership here are going to serve at that event, including me. Um, so it'll be a great night. And be a good time to, to connect with with other people in relationship. So, uh, with all that in mind, uh, let's open God's Word together. Um, we're going to be back in the book of Luke, chapter one, and we're looking. We've been looking a little bit at a time at the amazing 
Christmas story of how God miraculously became one of us and lived among us. And we've been looking together at the first chapter of Luke um, for several weeks, and we're going to be looking at it again this week, beginning in verse 39. Uh, Believe it or not, Luke wrote more verses than any other person in the New Testament. Uh, Luke and Acts make up more content in total in total words and verses uh, than everything that Paul wrote added together, uh, which is amazing. So, um, but his chapters are quite long, um, and uh, in fact, chapter one has eighty verses in it. We're not going to do that. Uh, all today, so, but we are going to work through the whole first chapter and and a chunk of chapter two as we lead up to Christmas. Um, if you have your Bible and you're able to do so, I invite you to stand with me and follow along as I read uh, verses 39 to 56. In those days, Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country to a town in Judah. And she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me, that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And His mercy is for those who fear Him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with His arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich He has sent away empty. He has helped His servant Israel in remembrance of His mercy, as He spoke to our fathers, to Abraham, and to his offspring forever. And Mary remained with her about three months and returned to her home. Let's pray. Father, help us to understand the things that you have for us here in these verses. Help us, Father, not only to understand them, but to uh, apply them to our own hearts, to our own lives, that we might be your spirit-filled people who yield themselves to you in the same way that these two women did. And Father, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as we come to the text, um, you know, you you see you see three people in it who are filled with the Spirit of God. You see Mary, who gives her her famous speech, her what's called the Magnificat, uh, because in Latin uh, that is the first word of her song of praise or her her, her psalm, if you will, that she that she states there. Uh, you see Elizabeth, who is we're explicitly told is filled with the Spirit, uh, and you see John, um, who is in the womb, 
And we were and we were told by the angel uh, that spoke to Zechariah, the angel Gabriel, that John would be filled with the Spirit even from his mother's womb. And we see him uh, respond in a Spirit-filled way. So before we get into the text and just look look at what the results of that are, I want to talk briefly about the idea of being filled with the Spirit. The Bible talks about the Spirit's activity in a variety of different ways, uh, different ministries that this Holy Spirit has from convicting people of sin uh, to the baptism of the Spirit, the action of the Holy Spirit that unites us uh, to the body of Christ and we become one with Jesus. uh, As we put our trust in Jesus, we're baptized into Christ in that moment. Uh, at that moment, you're, you also are indwelt by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit takes up residence within you. But what, well, we see this, this term, the filling of the Spirit, in the Scripture too. What does that mean? Well, the filling of the Spirit is something that follows your, um, your belief in Jesus. When you believe in Jesus, as I said, you're indwelt by the Spirit and baptized by the Holy Spirit into union with Christ. But then the filling of the Spirit can be something which um, either happens or doesn't happen according to whether or not you yield yourself to God's control of your life. Okay? So we're told, for example, in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18, be filled with the Spirit. It says, actually, the beginning of the verse is, do not be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. And then the rest of the book actually gives, a book of Ephesians, gives examples of the Spirit-filled life. And so it talks about how you talk to other people. It talks about um, how you behave in your marriage. If you're a married person, it talks about how you respond in your job, whether you're the boss or the servant, uh, how you engage in spiritual warfare. All these things are results of the filling of the Holy Spirit, that as you're filled with the Spirit, these are the, the things that come out of that. Well, here in this chapter, um, as people are yielded to the Holy Spirit and his, uh, his role in their life, what you see are these results. Now, a lot of people, when they think about the filling of the Holy Spirit, their mind immediately goes to something like Pentecost. And they think, well, when, when somebody's filled with the Spirit, that means they're going to speak in tongues. And they're going to be able to proclaim the gospel in languages they have not learned. Well, that can happen. It happened in Acts chapter 2. It happened in other places in the book of Acts. Uh, There's discussion about it in the church at Corinth as well. Um, God miraculously gave them the ability to communicate with other people in languages they'd never before known. But maybe you think about King David when he joyfully brought the Ark of the Covenant into Jerusalem with him and he danced before the Lord with all of his might. Right? Or maybe you think about the prophets and the apostles who, uh, as, uh, as Peter says, spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. That as they were filled with the Spirit, they wrote the things which became the Scripture. Right? Um, God's Spirit does a variety of things, and those are all valid expressions of the Spirit's presence in a person's life, and something that God might cause a person to do, depending on his purpose at the time. 
But here in this passage, we see these three different people who are all filled with God's presence. And together, they give us examples of the Spirit's filling that aren't necessarily loud or obvious, but nevertheless powerfully point us to how the Spirit works and show us some results that we can expect to see in our lives too as we yield control of our life to the Holy Spirit. So with that in mind, I want to look with you at verses 39 to 44 where we see that the filling of the Spirit results in rejoicing in Jesus. Now remember, when we, when we looked at the Annunciation last week, you know, when Gabriel came to Mary and said, hey, you're going to be having a baby, and by the way, he is the Son of God, and by the way, it's through him that the kingdom will be restored, and all of this will happen. And this is big news, amen? Um, she is told, you're going to miraculously conceive, though you were a virgin, you're going to bear the incarnation of the Son of God. And he gave her also a sign to help her believe these things. And the sign was that Elizabeth, who is, let's remember, an old woman, past the age of childbearing. So I don't know how old she is, but she's consistently referred to as an old woman who has no children, uh, past the point of having children. She's not only pregnant, but she's already six months along, according to the angel's announcement. So now think about this. If you're a young woman, and this is she's a she's mid teen mid teens girl at this point, she would have basically just gone through puberty, um, maybe 14, 15, 16 years old, young. She is told you are going to miraculously conceive, though you are not married, though you've never been with a man. You're going to miraculously conceive and you're going to bear the Son of God. And oh, by the way, just to reassure you that this is going to be possible uh, for this to happen, even though this doesn't happen, uh, you remember your, your Social Security check collecting relative, Elizabeth? She's having her firstborn. <laughs> She's six months pregnant. Who is the one person in the world that you want to now go see? <laughs> Elizabeth, <laughs> right? Because of all the other people in the world, who is most likely to understand and believe the story you're about to tell them? Right? Elizabeth. So Mary, the Scripture says, goes immediately to see her. Uh, now, we, the Scripture here doesn't name the village that Elizabeth was in, but we know which one it was. It is the village of Ein Karim in the Judean foothills. That is an 80-mile journey between Nazareth and Ein Karim. And it's a little bitty place. From one little bitty place in the north to one little bitty place in the south, it's an 80-mile journey. So if Mary left immediately from hearing from Gabriel, she would have had a three, four, maybe five-day walk to get there, depending on how, how fast you're going. But you figure 20 miles a day, it's four days. Uh, I don't know how hard your feet are if you walk all the time, but um, but that's that's a good that's a good haul. Um, Mary uh, dis doesn't have a way to tell Elizabeth that she's coming either. It's not like you could you know send a fax or you know uh, an email or call her on the phone. She just leaves and goes down to see her 
see her, her, her relative. But when Mary arrives, there are two people who respond with great joy. Verse 41 tells us the first one to respond is John, the unborn child that Elizabeth is carrying, who leaps in her womb at the sound of Mary's voice. Why? Now think about this. A six-month-old pre-born child is about a pound and a half. They have all the parts they're going to have. But their skin is still translucent. Um, you can see their organs through their skin. They are um, fully formed, but little bitty. Little bitty. And that baby leaps in Elizabeth's womb. Why? Because John, just like the angel Gabriel said, is filled with the Holy Spirit inside Elizabeth's womb. Remember also that Mary is probably, what, four or five days pregnant at this point? How big is that baby? The, the biological term that, for that is a zygote. And yet John, who is also not yet born, is filled with the Spirit and leaping for joy because Jesus is here. Because Jesus is here. In the press inside his mother Mary. Now just as an aside, this isn't the point of this text, but this is something we can draw from it. Preborn children are people. Pastor, are you saying even zygotes are people too? Yes, I am. Because the scripture says they are. John recognizes Jesus' presence when Mary is four or five days pregnant. Is that a person? Yes, it is. Is John a person? Six months old? Before he's born? Yes, he is. So even children who haven't grown to the point of survival outside the womb are people, and they are recognized as such by the Scripture, including right here. Okay, That's important to remember. Um, here in our culture, in our world, we, we sometimes want to devalue people based on how, how functional they are. Right? Well, if they're really old and they've they, they don't have their, all their mental capacities anymore. Well, they're not, they're not really, really functional people anymore. Well, if they're really little or really handicapped, well, they're not really people anymore. That's not what the Scripture says. The Scripture says every human being, no matter their capacities, no matter their size, no matter their age, are made in the image of God. And they have value and dignity as God's image bearers. Okay? Enough on that. But this is super important. The other person who rejoices in Jesus because of the Spirit's filling is Elizabeth herself. And when she is filled with the Spirit, and again, prior to Pentecost, the Spirit's filling was not a constant thing. You didn't, you didn't have the Spirit 
presence with you all the time. But Elizabeth is filled with the Spirit immediately, and she proclaims this double blessing, first on Mary and second on Jesus, the baby that Mary is carrying. Uh, Blessed are you among women. Is Mary blessed among women? Yes. That is a safe statement. She is the most blessed woman that there has ever been in the history of the world. She is the one who carries the Redeemer for all humanity. Is that a blessing? I mean, like, what? I mean, like, what are you going to say as a woman to compete with that, right? Like, well, I have five children. Oh yeah, well, my kid is the savior of the world. I mean, <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> like. Uh, you know, I mean, I don't know if women compare their accomplishments of their children um, in the way that men brag on their kids at times to one another, but I do know this, that nothing beats that, right? This is the, this is the trump card of all trump cards. My son is the savior of the world, the son of God. Uh, she is blessed among women. Blessed is the fruit of your womb, meaning Jesus, the son of God, whom she's carrying. He is. He is indeed not only blessed, but the biggest blessing that's ever come into the world. And beyond that, if you look at verse 40, 44, you see Elizabeth's amazement. One of the things the Spirit's filling of your life does is make you more and more and more amazed that God would choose to come into your life and use the likes of you. Right? I heard a pastor one time say, "The the um, when you when you grow in the Lord, you sin less and feel worse, <laughs> right?" And I think there's some truth to that. That that even though you are less sinful than you were every time that you do sin, you feel worse about it than you did in the beginning, because you realize, "Oh man, I'm closer to God now, and this should not still be part of my." And you become more and more and more amazed that God would pick you to be part of His family. And Elizabeth, filled with the Spirit, is amazed that God who has become incarnate in Mary, her teenage girl relative, is willing to come and visit her. She's like, how do I get to be so honored? Now this is a cultural reversal, right? Because in that culture, who are the honored people? The old. Right? And the young are of less significance and value. But Elizabeth is is recognizing, no, the biggest honor there is possible to have is to have the Lord and His mother here in my house coming to see me of all people. And she is amazed. And she is rejoicing. And she is overwhelmed with humility and grace. She recognizes Mary's pregnancy is the more significant one because she is carrying the Lord Himself, the Messiah. But it's also this mark of the Spirit's filling in your life that she sees life in its proper perspective, that you rejoice a lot over Jesus. And you see yourself as less important than He is and just honored to be present wherever Jesus is. On top of that, if we are filled with the Spirit, we believe God's Word. Verse 45, Elizabeth 
reminds Mary and us of one of the results of the Spirit's filling that you believe God's Word. Mary had heard the Word of the Lord from an angelic messenger. We read it and we hear it from the Scriptures. But the blessing and reminder that Elizabeth shares is important for us too. Elizabeth said, Blessed is she who believed there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her by the Lord. Now, we're not all, looking around the room, we're not all women here. Uh, there's men and boys and girls as well. Um, but we have all heard many things from the Lord. Amen? And sometimes life gets discouraging and life gets hard and it gets difficult and painful. And in those moments, what do we need to remember? To believe that there will be a fulfillment of what God has spoken to us. Amen? When we're filled with God's Spirit, He helps us to believe what is true, what is fixed, and what is going to be fulfilled for us. We believe God's Word. We experience the blessing of believing it and remembering that it is true and looking forward to the day that all of it is going to be fulfilled. In addition, we celebrate what God has done for us. This brings us to Mary's Magnificat. Um, she, she says, My soul magnifies the Lord, rejoices in God my Savior. In other words, she's like, I want to make a big deal about God and what He has done for me. I want to I make Him look as big as He is. That's what her word magnifies means. That I want to experience and proclaim God's amazing, magnificent nature. But more important than knowing all of that, is knowing what we can learn from the contents of what she said. If you look at verses 46 to 49, you see her celebrating what God has done for her. She mentions four specific things. Here they are. Number one, he looked on my humble estate. The filling of the Spirit in Mary's life produces this great humility in her that she is amazed by God's grace, even and that he sees her that he knows her, even though she is a nobody from no place. Remember, Nazareth is the middle of nowhere, and it's a little bitty town that's not even mentioned in the Old Testament anywhere. It's full of Gentiles. And Mary is from there, and God sees her, this poor teenage girl, and knows her, and chose to use her for his purposes. And so Mary's like, just overwhelmed with humility at how could God see and know and choose to use me. He looked on the humble estate of His servant. Um, on top of that, he says, she says, all generations will call me blessed. And that's true. She's looking forward and recognizing I am the recipient of the most unique privilege in all human history to be the bearer of the Redeemer of all humanity. And therefore, all generations will look at me and call me blessed. And we do. And we should. All these generations later. 
She's not an object of worship for sure, but she is uniquely blessed by God. And then she says, He who is mighty has done great things for me. She praises God for using His awesome power to honor and help and bless her life. God is mighty. In fact, He's almighty. He has all power that exists to do all things that to accomplish His will. And yet He sees this little girl. And chooses to use His vast power to honor and help and bless her. And through her, all the people of the world. And finally, she celebrates His holiness. The fact that God is so amazing and high and transcendent and so unlike us in His purity. And her song of praise just rises in wonder that the God who is all of these things has done all of this. And then she continues by proclaiming His glory. And as her praise continues to ascend to God, she turns from praising God for what He has done for her to what He has done and will do for all of the people of the world. And she praises Him in several different ways there. First, in verse 50, Mary praises God because He gives mercy to everyone who fears Him, everyone who worships Him in reverence, and every generation, His mercy never stops. And on top of that, He's not just a merciful God, He's also a just God. He's just in that He scatters the proud, meaning that He doesn't allow people who are great in their own eyes to endure for long. You remember King Nebuchadnezzar? Built the hanging gardens, one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. Uh, controlled a vast chunk of Central Asia parts of Africa, under his empire, and he walked around one day after being warned by the prophet Daniel not to get too proud, and he said to himself, is this not great Babylon which I have built to give me glory? And in the moment that the words were on his lips, God spoke to him from heaven, and he ate grass like an ox for the next seven years. God brings down the proud. When I was a kid, the thing that we were all afraid of and that we had drills um, periodically, you know, in case there was a nuclear bomb that went off like we were going to hide under our desk. I don't know what the desks were made out of, but apparently they were blast resistant. Okay. In fact, I, I've been back to that school. I think they still have the same desks. So, I mean, they must be made of something impenetrable, right? Um, but... Uh, where is the Soviet Empire? It's gone. The, the Russians don't even control all of the places they used to control that were part of the Soviet Union itself. Never mind have the ability to project power into Africa and the rest of Asia and Central America in the way they did when I was a kid. Right? Why? Because God scatters the proud in the, in the thoughts of their hearts. If you are lifting yourself up, the Soviet Empire was officially atheist. And they said, we do not need God. We are going to build ourselves a lasting empire and the dictatorship of the proletariat is going to rise and we're going to rule the world. And God said, 
How would you like the ash heap of history instead? God is a just God. He also replaces the proud with the humble. Remember King Saul? Strutting around his palace. I got to be the king. He gets replaced by a shepherd. The youngest kid. The one ever all of his brothers thought was worthless. Uh, so they put him out with the sheep. Here's a job you can't screw up too bad. Put you out with the sheep. When, when his dad assembled, he, Samuel the prophet came and said, hey, uh, assemble all your sons. He didn't even go get David. <laughs> Think about that. Assemble all your kids. Well, you can't possibly want that one. <laughs> so I'll just leave him with the sheep. Right? God picked that one and made him king over the nation of, of Israel. Right? He replaces the proud with the humble. Beyond that, Mary proclaims the truth that God is the God who sends away empty those who think they're rich because He can give nothing to people who think they already have everything. But He also fills the hungry with good things. What's that about? It's about... It's not about food. It's not about possessions. It's about your relationship with God. If you if you feel like you've got everything going on going on in your life and you got the whole world by the tail and you just are you know, hey I, Lord, I'll I'll call you if I need you. I got this right. Guess what? The Lord has nothing for you. He can't put anything in the hands of somebody who thinks their hands are already full. But if you come hungry, if you come to the Lord and you say, I am broken and poor and needy and lost and I need help. God gets a like an inloader shovel and dumps it on you. <laughs> right? Uh, because he is able to lavish on you tremendous blessing, tremendous riches of His presence and His help and His blessing and His aid if you come to Him in need and recognizing your true situation. It's when you recognize that you are blind, poor, and naked that He gives you uh, sight, clothing, and riches. Amen? Um, he is the God who does these things. And finally, she proclaims God's eternal mercy as she recalls God's deliverance of Israel over and over again because of the covenant He made with their forefather, Abraham. God's mercy and His promises don't wear out. They never expire. God's promises once made will always be kept through all generations. And she is proclaiming that. She says, Lord, I know that you are going to keep your, all your promises to Israel. How does she know? Because she is with a walking around, living embodiment of the fulfillment of those promises. I know you're going to keep all of your promises to me. Now the last verse simply records the fact that Mary stayed with Elizabeth for about three months. It doesn't tell us very much beyond that. I wish I could have been a fly on the wall and hear those conversations. Can you imagine this? Here are two women, both miraculously preg pregnant, one with the forerunner of the Son of God, promised to the prophet Malachi 400 years in the past, 
one pregnant with the Son of God, promised from uh, the Garden of Eden to show up. And here they are just talking and spending time together for three months. Why should she go home after three months? Because John is born <laughs> three months later, and Mary's in the way. <laughs> you have an infant, right? Uh, well, Mary, uh, it's been great. We love you. Uh, can you go home now? I have, I have an infant to take care of, and I'm an old woman. <laughs> All right. Um, but Mary goes home. But how amazing and how encouraging must those three months have been. Mary goes home ready to face reality and face the world and all the questions that are going to arise about what has happened and what she's doing. And she's, she probably came with a lot of fears, a lot of questions, a lot of wondering what lies ahead, but she's encouraged by the one woman in the world who might understand her situation. There's also great encouragement for us in this passage as we consider what it means to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And what we see is that as we yield our lives and our hearts to the Holy Spirit's control, we can expect to rejoice in Jesus. Not just when we're at church, but to rejoice in being with Him in every part of every day. To believe God's Word as we read it and hear it. To celebrate what God has done for us and to proclaim God's goodness to other people as well. So let me encourage you to consider your life for just a few minutes here as we wrap up our time in God's Word. First question I want to ask is this. Do you have the Holy Spirit within you? According to the Scriptures, the Holy Spirit comes whenever you believe in Jesus Christ. He indwells you from that moment on. In fact, Paul encourages us in Romans. He says, the Holy Spirit testifies with your spirit that you are the children of God. If you don't have the Holy Spirit, you don't have that testimony from within you that you know the Lord. So, if you don't know Jesus in a personal way, you aren't yet a child of God, you don't have the Holy Spirit, hence you can't be filled with His presence. If you want to experience the Spirit's filling, you need to know the one to whom the Spirit points. You need to know Jesus. You need to put your faith in Jesus Christ who died on the cross for your sins and was raised from the dead to give you new life. That new life comes by the Holy Spirit as you put your trust in Jesus. When you put your trust in Jesus, you get the Spirit's indwelling, and then you can, after that, experience His filling. Second question. Are you filled with the Holy Spirit? That is our privilege. It's also God's command to us that you yield your life and your heart to the Spirit's control. And as you do, you start to exhibit what you see in this passage. But you can't experience the Spirit's filling uh, if you're holding on to sin in one or more parts of your life. The Spirit can't control your heart if you're allowing it to be controlled instead by lust or bitterness or anger or unforgiveness or pride or any one of a hundred other sins I could name, that we're all prone to. We're all sinners and we're all prone to these things. But if you are giving yourself over to that, you can't be giving yourself in yieldedness to the Holy Spirit and allow Him to fill you. Uh, so here's my challenge to you right now, with your eyes open as we're sitting here, Ask the Lord to show you if there are any sins that you need to confess and turn away from. 
And if he brings anything to mind, then immediately confess and be forgiven, that you might be filled with the Holy Spirit. And finally, ask the Holy Spirit uh, to fill you and control your life. As you do, I think what you'll find is that your heart will be leaping with joy to be in Jesus' presence each day. As you read His Word, as you pray, you'll find yourself convinced in your belief that God's Word really is true and that He really is keeping His promises to you. And as that happens, you'll have all these reasons to celebrate what God has done for you. And along with an ever-increasing amazement that He sees you and knows you and loves you and chooses to use you of all people, I mean, the most shocking thing in the world to me is that God would put me in this pulpit. I mean, no kidding. Some of you all know me, and you're like, yeah, amen. Um, okay, but the idea that God would use you for His purposes to fulfill even some small part in His grand plan to save people from every tribe and nation, tongue and people, you'll be amazed. Increasingly so. And beyond that, as, you'll, as you're filled with the Holy Spirit, you'll find you can't shut up about God's goodness and telling everybody you know about how great and good God has been to you and how great and good God is to all people who follow Him. Amen? So, let's pray. And let's ask God and His Holy Spirit to fill us and control us and that we might yield to Him. God, our Heavenly Father, You give us these great and amazing Scriptures that tell us and that show us, give us exhibits of what it looks like when we're filled with the Holy Spirit. Father, it's my desire that all of us would live lives that are filled with Your Spirit's presence, that we would yield to You in such a way that sin would fall away, and that we would experience the real joy of knowing and following and being loved by the Lord Jesus. Uh, Father, I pray if there's anyone here who's never yet known Jesus, that they would not leave this room without putting their trust in Jesus Christ and receiving your indwelling spirit and being made a part of your family. Father, help them by your Holy Spirit to put their trust in you and to experience the real joy of the Spirit-filled life. And Father, for the rest of us, I pray that we would be putting off sin and increasingly yielding our lives in every part to Your Spirit's power, that we might know the life that is really life. And Father, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.